Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everyone. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Welcome. Welcome to anybody joining us online for the first time. I'd like to begin class by asking you to talk to each other at home. I open the breakout rooms and the Zoom so that you get thrown in to talk in service of um, a core aspect of Buddhism is developing community, the importance of connecting and uh, having relationships with friendships with um, other people who are also interested in these practices and principles and developing wisdom through mindfulness, concentration, compassion, forgiveness. Um, and so I like to start by having you speak to each other. I don't have a really clear topic tonight. A um, couple of questions that I had that I'm going to address and then see if there's any more questions in the room. But for the meditation, I was thinking that I would do, I was talking to a friend earlier about a meditation that my father developed called soft belly meditation. And, uh, um, and it's, it's a mindfulness practice. It's part of, I think if we wanted to fit it completely into the Buddhist teaching, it would be part of the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body and becoming aware in our bodies of the ways that our body holds tension and tension being seen uh, on some level or another as resistance. Uh, and part of what mindfulness is inviting us to uh, is to not resist, but to accept what's happening. And so my question for you and the question for the uh, kind of small discussions that we'll start with is where do you hold tension in your body or, or uh, maybe even not that personal, where does your body hold tension? Like, you know, when you experience a little bit of stress or fear or uh, resistance to what's happening, what gets tight in your body? Uh, is it your jaw? Do you, are you a jaw? Are you a clencher? Is it your shoulders? Are you kind of up, up here? Is it your belly? The soft belly perspective um, is that often it's our that kind of center channel and that there's that tightness that happens, that kind of protection shutting down um, happens often in our stomachs. Uh, maybe it's somewhere else for you. Maybe it's under your armpits or, <laughs> uh, you know, your fist clencher or, or something. But so reflecting on where does your body hold tension? Where, what are you aware about? Um, places in your body where uh, they're often tight when you're nervous or anxious or, or even excited. Sometimes even uh, craving can tighten the belly or you find yourself clenching your jaw in anticipation and craving. Uh, and we're going to meditate on, on that tonight, but let's use that as a opening discussion point. So in the room, find two or three people that you best to talk to people you don't know, so that you meet some people rather than just talking to your homies. And at home, you guys just it's random. So we'll see where you go. The Buddha's teaching is that 
all of our suffering is created by craving. And craving manifests as uh, clinging to what is happening or aversion, craving for what is happening to not be happening, aversion to what's happening. And in a simplified way, uh, the end of suffering comes from accepting what's happening and meeting it with wisdom, compassion if it's unpleasant, non-attachment if it's pleasant, not clinging to it, not getting attached, not creating suffering. And the perspective is, is that this is constantly happening all by itself. The good news of Buddhism is that it's not actually your fault. There's no blame or judgment in the Dharma. It's just the kind of an explanation of how the human condition is. It's a condition of craving and clinging and aversion. And it happens all by itself. It's probably biologically evolved survival instinct. If you want to blame somebody for your suffering, it's evolution. <laughs> it's just these animal craving body survival instincts that get attached and aversive and are self-centered, you know, uh, and, it, and it creates all of this unnecessary suffering for us. And the whole Dharma, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, all of the Buddhist teaching are tools of like, well, how can we relate differently rather than just accepting like, yeah, we wander through this life attached and aversive and self-centered fear-based beings. How can we develop wisdom to be at peace, to be at ease, to not suffer about the pain that we encounter that's inevitable, that's unavoidable, to not suffer about the pleasure that we you know, enjoy, but often become addicted to or attached to or create suffering around. Soft belly meditation uh, is the practice of relaxing into accepting what's happening without resistance. When we're uh, tense, we're resisting. So it's like a, a non-resistance. It's, it's part of um, learning to let go of needing this moment to be any different than it is. Every time the belly gets tight, every time the jaw is clenched, the shoulders are tight, there's some uh, way that we are trying to avoid, control, suppress, manage our experience rather than accept it as it is, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. I learned this meditation over 30 years ago and saw that when I um, really brought mindfulness, so present time awareness into my body, that it felt like there was like a brick in my stomach, like, and that it felt like it was kind of always there when I started to pay attention, like there was always this tightness, this hardness. And then as I started to soften over the years, I, it started to shrink and eventually dissolve. But it didn't happen in one meditation. It happened over years of focusing the attention and seeing. And then I started to notice, oh, my belly, I, I, I kind of am aware and I'm softening my belly a lot, not tensing my stomach, but now I'm clenching my jaw. <laughs> and I started, sort of migrated from, oh, he's paying attention to the, he's softening here. And now, oh, okay, now, now I have to, I find myself in meditation and just throughout the day needing to release my jaw. 
because I have a tendency to clench it. So I just want to give that setup. This is not the Buddha didn't teach soft belly. He said he taught the uh, mindfulness of the body. He said, bring your attention into the body, sit upright, and 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 establish non-judgmental awareness of how the body is. But he does say things in the instructions like. Um, uh, or it seems like it's alluding to it, just letting the body breathe by itself. If you breathe in deep, no, it's a deep breath. If you breathe in shallow, no, where there's not a, a controlling of the breath, just a relaxed, receptive awareness of the breath. Uh, and so it does feel like there's an encouragement in the Satipatthana, the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness, to uh, relax into this upright posture. And it's hard, right? Like the body wants it all by itself. It wants to tense so some effort into releasing the tension wherever you're holding it i'm going to mostly focus on the belly because that's the instruction in this one but for you maybe your belly's soft but you're, you know where is it in you for you is it your jaw is it your shoulders is it somewhere else in your body so find a way to sit that's upright but relaxed and this is the <clears throat> place where you, you might hear me in, in the instructions often say sitting upright with only enough resistance to gravity to stay upright. Because there's a little bit of tension necessary in the body just to keep the body upright. If you totally relax, you're just gonna fall over. So it's just that little bit of tension necessary to stay upright. Allowing your eyes to close right away as you exhale, softening your belly, you don't need to tense your abdominal muscles in order to stay upright. Think of the skeleton sitting here on the chair, the cushion, with the flesh of the body, the skin, the muscles, hanging loosely around the upright skeleton. And each time you exhale, is there a release that can happen in the jaw and the shoulders? Exploring your relationship to gravity. Gravity pulls you into the chair. Allow it to. Drop the shoulders away from the ears, the jaw. Loose, the tongue resting in the palate. And softening the belly, if you notice a hardness there, uh, maybe there's a shape, investigate it, is it a brick is it a ball is it a bowling ball or a golf ball what's in there if anything is noticeable
Mindfulness of the body and mindfulness of the breath, breathing in. Know that you're breathing in and see how the belly rises with the in-breath and falls with the out-breath, rising and falling and softening, releasing with each exhale as the belly falls. When we do this kind of mindfulness of the body, we're trying to ignore our mind, not trying to stop it. Thoughts continue. Whatever emotions are present can be present. Whatever plans and memories come, just allow your mind space. But we come to understand that we don't have to pay attention to what the mind is doing or even the emotions there can be quite insistent persistent if there's some emotional content here right now some experience of joy or sorrow investigate it in your body how's that manifesting in your belly what if you soften into that joy? Relax into, soften into any sadness, any sorrow. Sometimes we come to see that we tighten around unpleasant emotion, resisting. It's a form of clinging. With each exhale, inquiring, can is there something that can be released with this out breath? Some tension that can be softened. And then there's the acceptance of the aspects of our hardness, 
that aren't ready to dissolve. Softening around the edges. What's happening in your belly when your mind starts to worry? You may see that as you soften your belly, it actually softens the unpleasant thoughts, helps them to release this mind-body connection, placing the body in this relaxed posture posture of acceptance, can sometimes help the mind to relax.
You even just place the word soften in your mind each time you exhale. The end of suffering comes from relinquishing, letting go, soft belly, jaw, shoulders, is the practice of relinquishing, of letting go. After sitting for a few minutes, if you become uncomfortable, what does the body do around discomfort, pain? 
experiment with softening into it rather than tightening around it.
softening into the unpleasant is teaching us about tolerance, mercy, and compassion. Rather than meeting our pain with anger and fear, a soft allowing.
as you open your eyes and stretch or whatever feels appropriate, um, continue to keep most of your attention in your body. Continue to pay attention to your belly and your shoulders and your jaw. As the um, awareness of being with a whole bunch of other people online or in the room, what is that? What happens in your belly around social anxiousness, the self of who am I in this room? How am I seen? How am I, am I accepted? Am I safe? All of those maybe unconscious thoughts that are happening what happens in the core of the body what happens in your heart in your chest in your jaw in your belly i have found this to be a very central beneficial practice not just mindfulness of the body um, tensing up all by itself but an intervention to the natural tendency to tighten by uh, softening actually intervening meaning bringing the relinquishing non-attachment letting go is a response rather than waiting for it to happen all by itself <laughs> Eventually, if I meditate long enough, I'll just be this sort of open being, maybe. But in the meantime, since we're not there yet, responding by, rele by releasing, by softening, seeing up, attached again, hardness, clinging, tension, attachment, letting go, resisting again letting go and it's nice to coordinate it with the breath because right every few seconds that opportunity breathing out letting go again softening again and then tight and then letting go again softening again and then my jaws tight again letting go again softening over and over and over not just it's great to do on a formal meditation like this you kind of start to train your mind to respond in this way train your body to release in this way uh, and then you bring this into work, home, every aspect of our life, checking in. Uh, what's happening in my jaw? What's happening in my belly? This is, I think, a really good application of the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body. What's happening in the body? How does it feel? And what's it calling for? I always think of, of um, our mindfulness practice as maybe all of Buddhism, seeing clearly what is happening right now. And then what is it, what's the wise response? What's the wise relationship to what's happening right now? What's happening right now uh, is calling for compassion part of compassion is relaxing into the pain no longer resisting it accepting it right now it's unpleasant it's calling for softening into a 
or right now it's really pleasant, but I'm so attached to it. It's calling for non-attached acceptance of the impermanent nature of pleasantness, pleasant experience. I don't know if you had this direct experience tonight, but if you practice with this, I think that you will eventually see how you can be sitting here somewhat relaxed, and then a, um, a, a fear can come into your mind, something that you're worried about happening, or, or resentment can come into your mind, and all of a sudden you're clenching your jaw, or your belly gets tight. He's sitting here, but and seeing how a thought arising sort of out of nowhere in the mind has that somatic body effect. An un, a painful memory tightens the body. A fear of something happening in the future tightens the belly or the jaw or the shoulders, wherever it's happening for you. Softening the belly can sometimes really change your relationship to that thought, that worry, rather than being so identified with it, just worry, I'm afraid. Fear is like this, if I soften into it, accept it. Oh, resentment, anger, oh, it's like this. It tightens my belly, clench my jaw when I'm mad. My shoulders get tight when I'm mad. When I soften my shoulders, when I relax into it, sometimes it helps dissipate that afflictive emotion. Any questions about the practice of softening uh, the body uh, or any experiences that you had with it that you'd like to discuss before I go on to some other things. Is it wise to take, I have been told in the past by a, a quantum energetic practitioner of mine, uh, to take in three breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, in through the nose, out through the mouth, you know, three consecutive times, and which allows the belly to get softer in a, in a faster way. But just wondering if anybody else had that same experience. Um, could you hear the question in here? My, my own, you know, initial opinion is, yeah, sometimes taking some deep breaths uh, can help. Sometimes intentionally taking some long, deep breaths uh, and can, can help. And there, I think there's something that I've heard about those deep breaths that do something to that uh, vagal vagus nerve in our sternum. So there can be a relaxing uh, from uh, effect of uh, intentionally breathing deep. My sense is that, uh, there's nowhere that I know of where the Buddha talks about anything like that. Um, I'm not enough of a scholar for all of the Buddha's teachings. To, it doesn't seem to be one of his techniques. My sense of everything that I've studied is that the Buddha was much more interested in ordinary body uh, experience rather than any sort of manipulating of the breath in order to create it, just to be with what is. And if the body's breathing deep, know that. 
And if the body's, you know, if you're kind of having some shallow breaths, be with that and see and investigate uh, how the body is, is naturally breathing rather than um, manipulating it or controlling it in any way. It's my sense of almost all of the Buddha's meditation instructions is just pay attention to what's happening in the body. How is it breathing rather than... Uh, now, I do think it's quite skillful sometimes to take some deep breaths. Um, and it can, you know, there's nothing wrong with that sort of intervention that says, hey, that's a good thing to do. It'll help you relax a little bit. It's not in the Buddha's instructions that I know of. Are you aware, Jason, of anywhere where he says there's anything about, it seems a bit more of a kind of concentration-based, maybe Hindu-influenced um, instructions. There's quite a bit in the yoga teachings about how to breathe. Um, the Buddha was much more interested in how to pay attention rather than how to control your experience, just how to pay attention to your experience and respond wisely to it. Any other thoughts, questions? The first, um, I had a, a friend from our Sangha who sent me a message earlier, said they weren't going to be able to make it tonight because their partner was going in for a big surgery tomorrow and um, the fear about that that was coming in. And I forget exactly how she worded it, but something about how do we not let the fear of loss or overwhelm us? You know, um, it's not exactly how she worded it, but I want to talk a little bit for our friend Marianne. I don't even know if she's here online or not, but maybe she'll listen to it later if she's not here online. Um, but for all of us, fear is such a central human experience. Part of our survival instinct is to be afraid of pain, to necessary i think actually some some level of fear is maybe even healthy seems like you know there can be some spiritual like be fearless <laughs> um, but you know some a little bit of uh fear to not you know play in traffic is good a little bit of you know understanding that there are uh, things that we should be avoided and, you know, kind of cautious around. But the untrained mind, um, and even, you know, in the process of training the mind, fear can quite be quite overwhelming, fear of pain, fear of loss. And how, how often in our lives um, do we suffer quite a bit about worrying about being afraid of something that doesn't actually happen? Afraid that something might happen. Uh, I mean, how many, I wonder like if we could actually track back our lives, how many thousands uh, of hours have we spent in some level of suffering, stress, about afraid of something that 
could potentially happen that doesn't end up happening. And so there's, um, I'll, let me just finish the thought and then. And so I feel like part of our mindfulness is to just name it. Oh, this is fear and relate to it and to make friends with it. Because some, some feels like very often uh, when we're having afflictive emotions like fear, we want them, we either we're really identified with them and we believe them and we get real caught up in it. And, or we really want them to you know, like go away, this aversion to like, I shouldn't be afraid or I'm totally justified in my fear because it could happen. And you know, it always could happen. So part of our mindfulness is accepting like, oh yeah, we have this mind that has some anxious tendencies. We have this, you know, millions of years of biological evolution that has a survival instinct that is fear-based on some level. Part, for, part of it, what helps me is just understanding it's not your fault. The reason that, uh, you know, humans have evolved and survived is because we are nervous animals. We are afraid of pain. We are, we do have that instinctual drive towards pleasure away from pain. And it's just a given. There's not, uh, you can't sort of meditate your way to the place where like, I no longer have any fear. No, that no longer arises. It's going to continue to arise, but how we relate to it drastically shifts as we stop taking it so personal and believing it and thinking I need to, because part of what fear says is you need to do something about this. Even if it's just tighten your belly, <laughs> brace yourself, right? Fucking brace yourself for this thing that may or may not happen and suffer a bit in the present about some possible eventuality is, is a kind of unconscious message that's happening. So these practices like soft belly is like, okay, let me soften into the fear. Yeah, my mind is worried about my partner's surgery tomorrow or, you know, something that's going to happen next. And just not turning towards it, acknowledging it, worried, naming it, fear. Fear feels like this in my mind, in my body. Non-judgmental kind awareness, friendliness towards, uh, can you make friends with fear? You know, can you try to, uh, when, when fear comes up in your mind to actually turn towards it and to say, hello, fear, what's up, homie? Rather than this uh, idea that like, I shouldn't feel this way. Oh, of course I feel afraid. Oh, I feel anxious, I'm worrying. Oh, that's what the mind is up to. And a friendly relationship to it um, takes a lot of the stress out of it, a lot of the suffering out of it, a lot of the, that resistance or identification with it, uh, the idea it shouldn't be happening or I can't be at ease in the midst of fear. I would put fear um, in the category of, uh, in Buddhism, what we talk about as Mara. Mara is the aspect of our minds 
that seems to be invested maybe in our survival, but also seems to be invested in some way or another in our unhappiness. That part of us that's just not quite ready to accept happiness in our lives and is constantly sort of sabotaging it. Rather than like everything's totally fine right now, but my mind wants me to suffer about something that's not even happening. And that we, you know, the, the, that part of the mind that wants us to suffer about either what is happening or might happen, the Buddha talked about as Mara, that part of the mind that is attached to pleasure, aversive to pain. Now, some of the antidotes to fear um, is, you know, when we break our addiction to pleasure and when we get really good at being in pain, then what fear doesn't have that much of a target. When you, you know, and part of, it's part of what meditation is teaching us. The more you learn to just sit here with your achy knees and your, you know, sore ass and your loud mind, and you see, oh, I can do this. I can do this for hours. I can do this for days. And I can be uncomfortable. And pain is not, the, it's not that big of a deal after some years of practice. I know how to be uncomfortable. You know? And so, because always, isn't fear always saying like something unpleasant is going to happen? Uh, you know, in this case, um, you know, how often is your fear about death? Fear about pain, suffering, death. The Buddha encouraged us to meditate on death, turn towards death, accept in the impermanent reality that we live in, and that our bodies are subject to sickness, aging, death, that everyone that we love is subject to sickness, aging, death. It's not a failure. It's not a punishment. It's not, it's not avoidable. The more we turn towards it and, and maybe even embrace or at least accept pain and death, then fear doesn't have as much of a grasp because, you know, what are we afraid of? I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of the people that I love dying. I'm afraid of pain. I'm afraid of loss. I'm afraid. But so much of the Dharma is saying like, well, yep, get really good at non-attachment. Get really good at compassion. Get really good at accepting that our relationships are impermanent and that those that we love will die eventually, that we will die eventually. The more we have compassion, the more we have acceptance around that, the less fear can actually get us, control us, create suffering for us. Now, it's easy to say that, but then we have to also accept like, yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm still afraid of death and very much attached to my loved ones, and I don't want anyone to die ever again. Even though we know that's ridiculous, but there's that core feeling uh, of, I, you know, I want, I want everyone to be here. So I was talking, you know, talking a little bit about Mara. I don't think it's realistic for us to um, think that eventually we will have no fear. I don't, I'm not even so sure that the Buddha came to, in his awakening, a place where there was fear never entered his mind again. 
He talked about those afflictive emotions as Mara. And he said, even after enlightenment, uh, they continued to happen. But the difference was now with mindful, with wisdom, with the awareness, he said, I see you, Mara. Every time fear or craving or resistance or worry came into the mind, he related to it as not self, not personal, and just saw that impersonal tendency of the human condition to come back. Oh, fear again, big surprise. I see you, Mara. The mind is worried. I see you, Mara. The mind is, you know, being self-centered again. I see you, Mara. Relating to it rather than believing it to be who we are. The other um, kind of question topic that I was uh, asked about earlier today was this dilemma that we find ourselves in in practicing Buddhism. Actually, before I go on, did you did I go past it? What was the question or comment? No, you, you basically, a lot of the stuff you said after that, kind of hit on it. It's just, it's just, I don't know, everything that you said, it's just so odd. Um, because I just like live in a constant state of fear and over things that probably, of course, people will die, but um, just for instance, like it's that whole monkey mind, you know, I'm like, God, if you open the dictionary, that would, if there was a picture, it would be me. I cannot, no matter how hard I try, stop. And so as soon as you started meditating, um, I was like, okay, I have my phone up, though. you know, the ringer's off. And I'm like, oh my God, I've been having heart issues. And so I'm like, this, this, this is the way I think. Like in a matter of seconds, I'm like, what if I like, what if I have a stroke? They're not gonna be able to get my phone to call my husband. And then, okay, that was all of about two seconds. And then I moved on and it went straight to my son that's in Texas and he's, he races cars and he's 29, he's not a child, but I'm like, oh my God, what if something happens to him and they can't get me because my phone, you know, and it's, it's constant. And I never feared, I never was afraid to die until I got sober. So for like, I've been terrified for five years, you know, because I'm so afraid and it's like, I can't, and the whole clenching your jaw thing, my God, I drove from Texas to here. And like, I mean, I wear a, a night guard because I clench my teeth all the time. And it's just like, it's constant. Like that's all I do. And I mean, after I wanted to ask you about it, you kind of touched on it, but that is, it's like, I'm not living because I'm always in fear. So that's kind of where I was going with that, but I like everything that you said, and it makes a lot of sense, but it's just, it's exhausting. Yeah. It gets old. Yeah. Well, and it's part of the, the second uh, topic, which is uh, we can't really control what the mind's tendencies are, but we can learn, like I was talking about the soft belly as like an intervention. We don't have to just stay stuck in it. And so we see like, oh, I have a very anxious tendency in my mind. Um, and so what's the antidote to anxiety? Part of it is softening, relaxing, accepting. Oh, okay, my mind is quite nervous, starting to relate to it rather than, uh, we're, we're so, part of the um, 
benefits of the first foundation of mindfulness of doing a lot of body breath awareness is that we start to break our addiction to our minds our identification with our minds and we start to see my mind has a mind of its own and i'm sitting here meditating and my mind's worrying about shit but i'm not doing that on purpose i'm actually asking it politely to stop or at least telling it to shut the fuck up but it keeps going and then you know part of that insight i'm sure you've had that you've done some meditation some you've come to retreat um, and you start to see like oh this is not who i am my mind is afraid and craving and self-centered and does all of that stuff but there's some part of the awareness here that is not the mind and that can choose to either be in the mind or be in the body and can change our relationship to those neurotic habits of the mind um and that happens slowly but it doesn't happen without meditation i don't think i mean maybe there's some but I, you know that's it's a core part of of what meditation is doing it's changing our relationship to it and my experience is that over the years of meditation and going to retreat and really uh is that the intensity of the you know causes of suffering in the mind really start to decrease and i would imagine that um eventually if you you know continue your practice that your mind will be less anxious on some level and some anxiety will continue and some some fear but just imagine if you had the ability when your mind said oh my phone and you just noticed it oh yeah worried about the phone here breathing softening oh what about you know and then your mind says oh what about my son Oh, okay, yep, yeah, worried about, okay, just relating to that, worried about the sun, but I'm here softening my belly. That's just a thought arising and passing. Oh, oh, my husband, I was gonna have a stroke. Oh, yeah, okay, worried about my husband. <laughs> I'm gonna have a stroke. Yeah, I'm gonna have a stroke. My husband's gonna, you know, they'll never find my body. You know, Noel just put me outside. <laughs> um, and that more relaxed of like, oh, and almost, if you can get there, eventually, I hope that we can all get there. And I'm some success, not all the time, but just having a little bit of a sense of humor about how, because when you say it out loud, you're like, that's really ridiculous. But, but being able to have that humility, it's a good part of the conversation in Sangha in a community like this, because everybody's going like, yeah, my mind does crazy shit like that all day too. And, um, then we normalize it and take some of the blame out of it but also this effort into i don't want to live like this that's why i'm meditating it's why i'm studying the dharma i don't want to just live with this kind of i want to change my relationship to it i want to develop healthy mind patterns i want to learn to replace that fear with loving kindness with compassion with forgiveness um i've found a lot of success in uh forgiving my mind for its unskillful tendencies rather than hating it rather than judging it just saying i forgive you it's okay to be afraid uh, i forgive you for being so worried about things and um it's helped decrease the intensity of that the more we're identified with it the more we believe it the more we're involved in those thoughts the more fuel the fear has the more we say, you know, not, not now, Mara, I see you. Come back to the breath. Come back to the body. The less, you know, it starts to relax those 
tendencies, and then uh, maybe more faith, more confidence, more. Um, and it's it's what I and I, I know you related to is what I was saying of uh, when you said like yeah that could happen you know my my son could certainly get injured and I wouldn't find out about it for forty minutes and you know I'll be okay. I mean I've had a lot of those fears being. Uh, you know, I was doing uh, retreats when my children were little, and I can remember my mind being like, you are on this silent 10-day retreat or whatever, and you don't know if your family is safe or not. You're so irresponsible. And, you know, the mind trying to get me, <laughs> you know, and that being like, yep, it's true. Like, I'm here trying to be, you know, as healthy as I can be for the benefit of my children, my family, and everyone else that has to deal with me. And, you know the mind just tries to get you. One last thing, but yeah, I'm really not that crazy. I have um, <laughs> I have a daughter that had been in active addiction for about 10 years and she just got one year sober. But I think that a lot of my anxiety and stuff comes from PTSD from all the phone calls from the hospitals and car wrecks and the arrests, you know, and, and the overdoses. And so it's just like every time I hear something, it, I, so I think that that has a lot to do with just my fear yeah but um it's just it's it's adulting yeah but can't you track it all back to fear of something unpleasant happening with her with every fear oh, sure. something unpleasant something painful might happen compassion takes a lot of that fear away when you have when you really develop compassion and you get the confidence to know Yes, you know, and you can respond to that mind. Yes, painful things can and will happen, and I'll be okay. I know how to be in pain. I know how to respond wisely to pain. Painful things can and will happen. You know, this these fears may or may not, probably not. But when you really develop, when we focus on being with pain and discomfort and it takes so much of that fear of painful things happening because you have that easy internal response understanding of like, and I would still be okay. Even if my heart was broken because of the loss of whatever it was, I'd still be okay even in that loss. I've learned to sit with tragedy. I've learned to sit with pain. It's one of the... Um, I don't know if I need to say this or not, but I'll say it anyways. It's one of the problems with like 12 step um, approach where they're often teaching us to avoid rather than turn towards, be of service to others, get out of self all of the time. They're not, they never quite teach us to sit with our pain and that it's okay to be in grief and sorrow in to face tragedy and to, because of course there, you know, it's that sort of like, you might relapse if you get too uncomfortable. So never get too uncomfortable. Always stay a little bit ahead of it. <laughs> Call a newcomer. <laughs> and it's good advice on some levels at some points in our recovery, but then you can find yourself years into the process, not knowing how to be with your own pain. I'm sober now, but I don't know how to be with my own pain. And it's where the Dharma has such a different approach where it says, we're going to sit here and we're going to learn how to be with our pain. And the better we get at that, it's actually going to alleviate a lot of the fear in our lives. Not all of it, but a lot of it.
I see a couple hands online, but before I go to your guys' questions or comments, let me try to see if I can bridge the second topic that I wanted to introduce, which was um, this dilemma that we have of we're training our minds with our minds. And if you've meditated even a little bit, or even if you haven't, even if you're brand new, uh, hopefully you understand that um, there's a lot of false information in your mind, like we're talking about fear. There, there's a lot of ignorance in the human mind, a lot of self-centered, fear-based um, judgments, comparing uh, tendencies of the mind so much, uh, so often our minds are lying to us. And even just kind of checking in, how often do you believe your mind? Do you think you're right most of the time? Do you think that whatever you're thinking is it's probably true? Like even when we're in that fear, sometimes we have enough you know, insight to be like, oh, wow, my mind's really worried about something that probably won't happen. But sometimes we're like, yeah, that could absolutely be happening right now. It might be happening, it's probably happening. My mind, I'm probably right. When we look back on our lives, you can kind of laugh at ourselves and say like, oh man, so often I was so confused. I was wrong. I was so convinced of things that weren't actually true about me or about other people or about. But in the moment, often we believe our minds. And, and this dilemma of developing discernment, developing, um, I, guess, I guess the core question is like, how do we know when our mind is offering wise thoughts? The Buddha called them wholesome and unwholesome thoughts. When we're training the mind with the mind, and we have to discern, is this a wise thought or an ignorant thought? First, we just all have to have that humility. And the question is coming from uh, you know, a, a friend in the Sangha who's been meditating for a long time and understands that a lot of what arises in our minds is not true. Now that's news for some of us, right? When you start meditating, I don't know, for me, I didn't realize that my mind was lying to me all of the time. I just pretty much believed my mind. And then as I started to meditate and investigate and inquire and check it out and, and talk to other people, talk to Dharma teachers, sponsors, mentors, uh, you know, Sangha people, and being like, you know, my mind thinks that like I'm unsafe all of the time. <laughs> and I believe it. My mind thinks that, you know, everybody's, thinking about me all of the time and I believe it and starting to see like oh so often it's just not true it's just not a trustworthy source of information but it's the only source of information we have and that dilemma of I know I can't really trust my mind but I'm pretty sure I can't trust anybody else either and I want to develop the wisdom to see, the discernment to be able to know what thoughts are trustworthy and which ones aren't. But the mind is so tricky. How often has um, a neurotic thought 
really tricked you into believing it was wisdom, that it was truth, that it was wholesome, that you should believe it. I guess in the classical Buddhist sense, this is the, um, you know, addressed in the third factor of the Eightfold Path. Uh, wise, sometimes it's uh, translated as wise thought or wise intention or wise intentional thoughts. The Buddha says we develop a mind that um, thinks, that, that intentionally thinks and, and has that discernment. The trustworthy thoughts are those that are free from craving for sense pleasures, free from anger, ill will, resentment. That, so sometimes when we're, when we're looking at our minds and observing the thoughts and having that pause to just ask you know, yourself, is this true? Is this wise? Is this wholesome? Is this skillful? Is this a thought worth giving energy to? Or is it something to see as more ignorance, more Mara, big surprise, and have that humility and just being like, my mind is really on one. <laughs> my mind is really on one right now and just kind of tolerating that and accepting. And it's just, my mind is not giving me trustworthy information right now at all. I went through this, it's not as strong these days, but uh, five years ago, I went through some really intense stuff and my mind was just constantly uh, giving me such bad advice. And luckily it you know, this uh, um, happened at, you know, 30 years into my recovery and my meditation practice. And so I had enough awareness to be able to sit with my mind and be like, that's not true. That's not wise. That's not skillful. Revenge is not the solution. <laughs> you know, even though my mind was quite saying, you know, you should, you know, you should hurt people that are hurting you. <laughs> you know, you should, you know, um, that's the thing to do. And being able to sit with and be like, that's not that's not what I want to be. I don't believe that. I don't believe in that. Didn't stop my mind from suggesting that I stay angry, that I stay, that I close my heart, all of those things that the mind says, like, oh, you're in pain, shut down. You're in pain, lash out, fight, flight, <laughs> freeze. So the Buddha says, you know, check it out under the lens. Is this based in craving? Is this based in aversion? Is this based in some belief in a uh, your personal permanent self? I, me, mine. There's that beautiful um, short Dharma teaching from from the Buddha, where he says, there is nothing worth clinging to as I or me or mine. And how often are we afraid, uh, you know, or suffering about mine? This is mine. This is about me. That self-centered. Now, you know, this is an ultimate, and as I say it, this is an ultimate teaching, ultimate truth. 
on the relative level, have good boundaries. <laughs> on the relative level, yes, you you know you're an autonomous person, and you're totally we are totally you know, responsible for our actions and all of that. We don't want to take this non-self into irresponsibility and and avoidance of the relative truths of our relationships. But ultimately, I, me, mine, creating so much suffering for us unnecessarily. So I don't feel like I have a great answer to that, but there's just this inquiry. Uh, and sometimes it's quite obvious when the thoughts that are coming are based in kindness, are based in compassion, are based in love, are based when your mind's encouraging you to let go, it's trustworthy. When your mind's encouraging you to have compassion, to have forgiveness, to not take it personal, those thoughts, when you have those thoughts, trustworthy thoughts those ones that are leading to the end of suffering rather than perpetuating suffering. And maybe that's the simple test. Is this making it worse or better? And how often are we chasing after those thoughts that are actually creating more stress, more suffering, more difficulty for us rather than let go? Let go except right now it's like this and it's calling for compassion it's calling for non-attachment it's calling for mercy towards the already unpleasant experience rather than making it worse it's almost nine o'clock maybe i'll end there um if the two of you who have your hands raised online want to hang out afterwards, we could chat for a minute if you would like. But I'll leave it there for tonight. A uh, couple of announcements. One is that Against the Stream is a nonprofit organization that is dependent on your generosity to exist. I've been teaching this Monday night meditation class here on the west side of Los Angeles for almost 18 years now. So thank you for continuing to uh, support me as a teacher and against the stream as a organization. Um, nobody's paying the bills around here for us. We, it all has been happening for the last 18 years on at this, you know, Monday night group because of the generosity of the Sangha. So thank you for your generosity and an encouragement to be generous. It's part of the way that we're functioning in this really radical form where there's no fee for service. It's really a donation-based organization. And thank you for continuing to support. Um, and if you're at home making a donation through the uh, link there in the chat, and if you're here, Tara, our wonderful volunteers, been volunteering for a couple of years now. How long? A couple of years? Three? Come three years. She shows up most Mondays and sit that, sits at the desk and accepts the donations. And if you want to do a card, you can do a card or PayPal, Venmo, or there's, you know, some people even carry cash still. So you can do cash donations. And if you um, feel moved to, please consider becoming a monthly supporter of um, on the website. There's a link to saying, I want to give $50 a month, whether I show up or not, rather than, and I personally like that. So that it's not a little get out, get out of the capitalist fee for service of like, I only pay when I go. I only support if I'm benefiting from it. 
rather than saying, you know, I like this organization. I want to support it. I want to make sure that this is there, whether I'm there or not, so that other people get the benefit of learning the Dharma, practicing meditation, developing community. So please consider becoming a monthly supporter. I have a seven-day silent meditation retreat next month. It's the second week in September, September 8th through 15th, uh, about an hour and a half away up on the mountains here, um, Lake Arrowhead, Running Springs, Big Bear up there in the Angeles Mountains. You're all invited. You want to come sit with your crazy mind, uncomfortable body for a week. You will get more free doing that experience than not doing it. Um, retreat is difficult work. And my opinion, my biased uh, opinion, is that it's the most beneficial thing that we can do. And that it's uh, useful and to do at least once a year, to go on retreat and sit with your mind and you know, have all of those hours to break your addiction to your mind and to develop the mindfulness in the body and to develop the, all of the things we talk about here and to have that opportunity to do away from the responsibilities of daily life and go where we feed you, we guide you, we support you, get a comfortable uh, place to, to be for the week and you get to suffer with each other and develop wisdom with each other. That's, I know that's not a great sales pitch. <laughs> I think that's it. Anything else, Sebastian? You got it. Cool. I'm here for the next few weeks, I believe. Many goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma, the merit accumulated, be a benefit to you on your path of awakening and be offered, shared with each other, and shared outward in all directions, shared with all living beings. May each one of us get as free as possible in this lifetime, and together may we create some positive changes in ourselves, in our families, in our culture, and on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.